0: Welcome and good evening. Tonight I bring you something a little more different that perhaps many of you will enjoy. This is a story written by Ryan Peacock and you can find his link down below. Remember to leave a like and comment about what you thought. Um, it really helps me out. Anyway, without further ado, I present I work for an assisted suicide company. Sometimes we get surprised patients. I hope you enjoy. Let me preface this by saying that I'm a good person, but a job is a job. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, please get help. I don't think that suicide is ever the answer, and ironically, that's the general attitude of my company as well. I won't share the name of the people I work for, I don't want to be responsible for any backlash that might come with me sharing this. Let's just say it's a non-American company well known for offering assisted suicide for those suffering from severe mental or physical sickness. Despite the grim nature of what we do, I do respect it. My job focuses more on helping to prevent people from making a mistake they can't take back and less on helping people die. We offer counselling, health care and much more beyond just allowing people the right to die on their own terms. Those who do choose death are generally already dying and choose it because they'd rather get it over with, as opposed to wasting away in a hospital bed. Having seen what cancer does to people, I'd say that it's certainly a far more dignified way to go. To see anyone actually die isn't as common as you might think. Most of the people who contact us have no intention of going through with it. They'd rather get better, but they want the comfort of knowing that there's a way out if this disease goes too far. There's a lot of red tape to get the green light. Proof of diagnosis. Proof that they are of same body and mind and the like. Most of the people who get the green light to die eventually recover from the sickness and we never hear from them again. It's pretty encouraging statistic when you think about it. Modern medicine really is a marvel. Of course, there are still others who exhaust every possible treatment without recovering. They're going to die one way or another and who choose to go on their own terms. Then, there are those who aren't physically sick, but suffer from mental conditions that limit their quality of life. Thankfully, they are less common, but we still see them every now and then. Those who choose to die generally choose to go in their own homes. We do get a lot of foreign tourists who use our rented apartments, though. I've been there while it happened. There's a lethal dose of drug they mix into a glass of water. The patient drinks it, they fall asleep and within an hour they're gone. No pain, just a peaceful death. Whatever suffering they endure ends, and I suppose if it was bad enough that they actually chose to die, that's for the best. We don't take people's lives, you see. We give them the means, but they're the ones who ultimately take the final actions to end their lives. Protocol requires that we repeatedly ask them if this is what they want before they actually take the overdose. The patient is given plenty of time to decide if they are ready or not. I've seen several people back out at the last minute. And if they do take the overdose, they are required to take it at their own free will. If they can't drink from the glass, they drink from a straw. As grim as an act as it is, we try and make sure that our patients are absolutely certain they wish to end their lives. And there are almost no exceptions. Almost. When I was hired a few years back, my supervisor warned me that sometimes we get special patients. He never specified exactly what he meant by that, and I never asked either. I was told that if I ever encountered one, to talk to him about it, although since I never encountered any patient I considered special, his warning slipped my mind entirely. I don't remember the exact day when I dealt with my first special patient, but I remember the details. I'd been called over to one of our rented flats. I had everything I needed to deliver a fatal overdose to what I'd been told was a terminal patient named Peter Waldner. I didn't recognise the name, which was a little odd since I usually worked fairly closely with our patients, but I didn't really think about it too much. I assumed that Waldner had gone through the same red tape that everyone else had. Why wouldn't he? I hadn't expected anything other than a dying middle-aged man. Give or take a decade, when I showed up at that flat, that's a depressing sight to see. Yes, but still business as usual. When I got there, I was greeted by a woman in her thirties. I assumed she was either Waldner's wife or daughter. She had long blonde hair that looked a bit frazzled, and she looked as if she hadn't slept in weeks. Good morning, I said, offering the kindest of smile I could. My name is Luca. I'm here for Herr Waldner. Peter's inside, she said quietly, before stepping aside to let me in. I spotted a man I assumed to be her husband sitting at the kitchen table nearby. We've got him sedated for now. How soon can it be done? the woman asked. Man didn't even look up at me. Well, I just need to mix an overdose and some water. He'll pass out a few minutes after ingesting it and his body will fully shut down within half an hour to for Excellent. I'll get the water bottle, the woman said before taking off down the hallway. She struck me as rather irreverent of the fact that someone close to her was about to pass. I looked over at the man. He still avoided looking at me. Are you Peter? I asked as I pulled up a seat across from him. He still avoided eye contact with me. Peter's in his room, he replied. He was silent for a moment before asking. It's painless, right? He won't suffer. No, as I said. The drug induces complete unconsciousness, followed by a comatose state, as the body shuts down. I've seen it happen. It's a very peaceful way to go. If you'd like, I'm in no rush. You can say your goodbyes if you haven't already. The man shook his head. No he said. I don't, I don't want to see it. The woman came back holding a water bottle with a straw in it. She set it down in front of me. Put it in, she replied. I looked up at her but didn't move. I would need to speak with Peter first, I said. Protocol requires that we make it clear that he has absolutely wished to. No, the woman replied plainly. Mix the drug in now. I have a signed letter from your employer telling me that there would be no questions asked. I just want to get this over with as soon as possible. Her eyes met mine, intense, and yet there was something more in them. Grief. Fear. Not the kind of fear I was used to dealing with. She reached into her pocket and took out a letter that she set down on the table. I recognised my boss's signature at the bottom. I won't go through all the fine details of it, but the letter made it clear that the patient operated by special rules. The patient was not to be asked if they wanted to go through with it prior to the fatal overdose. Something was very off here. I read through the letter again before looking back at the woman. Would you excuse me for a moment, I asked. She gave a half nod as I took the letter and stepped out into the flat's balcony. I dialed my boss immediately. He picked up on the first ring. Luca, what can I do for you? His tone was pleasant, as if nothing was wrong. I have a letter here from you regarding Herr Peter Waldner. It says that we are suspending our usual practice of asking him if he wants to go through with the overdose. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that that's ever been authorised before. Typically it's not, my boss replied. His tone darkened a little. I don't suppose you recall my prior mention of special patients, do you? I was silent for a moment. The memory vague, but it did come back to me. This is one of those patients. I assure you we've vetted the patient intensively. Herr Waldner is very, very sick, and not of sound mind or judgement. His condition will not kill him naturally, but his family have decided that this is the best possible solution to end his suffering. I understand if you have reservations about this, Luca. I won't force you to go through with it if this is outside of your comfort zone. However, I promise you, Herr Wagner is already dead in every way that counts. This is just to set his family free of the burden he places on them. I remained silent before looking back into the flat. The man and the woman sat around the kitchen table, quietly talking amongst themselves. Both looked like broken people at the end of their rope. At last I sighed. All right, I finally said. I'll administer the dose. Thank you, Luca. I will warn you in advance, don't dwell on what you see in that room. I know what it will look like, but don't think on it. Administer the overdose and take the rest of the day off. I'll see you tomorrow. He hung up before I could ask any further questions. This wasn't like him. My boss was never unreasonable, but at the same time, he never offered me the day off for no reason either. The way he'd spoken about Waldener too was unusual. I pocketed my phone and returned to the flat. I nodded at the woman before I began to prepare the overdose and mix it into the water bottle. Which room is Herr Waldner in? I asked. I'll give him the water, the woman said. I have to monitor the process, make sure it goes smoothly, I replied. If he isn't able to take the final steps himself, I need to assist. She clearly wasn't happy with my answer but I wasn't going to budge on that. After a moment, she sighed in resignation. Down the hall, last room on the left, she said. She turned and led me there. Her posture was tense and she kept glancing back at me suspiciously. As she reached the door, she gently pushed it open as if they were afraid of something inside. She didn't go in. She just held the door open for me and let me go in to do my work. I'm not sure what I expected at that point. A withered old man, someone who was visibly half dead. Anything but what was actually tied to the bed. Thick leather straps held Peter Wagner down and he looked as if they were on the verge of breaking. He wasn't moving at the moment. I suspect it had something to do with the IV in his arm. An IV that looked as if it had been torn out before. Despite the sedation though, Peter Waldner was very much awake and his eyes were focused on me with such hate that it actually took me slightly aback. Of course, none of this addresses the main thing that I found strange about Peter Waldner. They are all side notes. Things I noticed after the fact. The thing that struck me first and caught me completely off guard was the fact that Peter Waldner was not an old man. On the contrary, he was a 15-year-old boy. I stood in the doorway for a moment completely frozen as Waldner bared his teeth at me like an animal. He hissed and spittle dribbled from between his lips. I felt a noticeable chill in the air around me. The woman who had been so eager to see him dead, a woman I now realised was his mother, stood anxiously behind me. The sedative won't last much longer, she said. When it wears off, it will take hours to get him under again. Please administer the overdose. I looked back at her. Utterly speechless. This had to be some sort of sick joke, right? If it was, her stoic expression gave nothing away. She regarded me intently, waiting for me to perform the final act. This... This can't be Herr Wagner, I said. Are you going to administer the overdose or not, she demanded. Ma'am, this is a... I know what he is. Are you going to administer it or now? Her voice cracked with desperation... Her eyes were wide and I could hear a tremble in her voice. Genuine fear. This was not an act. I remembered what my boss had said over the phone. Looking at the kid tied to the bed, I knew that he almost certainly wasn't normal. No normal human would hiss like that. All the same, I felt a quiet unease settling in my stomach. I inhaled before stepping closer to the bed. The air felt colder the closer I got. Wagner struggled weakly against his bindings and gnashed his teeth at me. He didn't say a word otherwise. I looked back at the mother, struggling for a moment to find the words. Are you entirely sure you want me to... Please, just do it, she replied. There was desperation in her voice, and I closed my eyes before bringing the straw of the water bottle to Wagner's mouth. He regarded it suspiciously before drinking, and he drank fast. I saw some of the tension leaving his mother's shoulders as soon as a water bottle was empty. I stepped back. I felt like I'd committed some sort of major transgression. Waldner's eyes remained fixated on me, unblinking as I stepped away from the bed. The coma should have come on quickly. Instead, he didn't flinch. For a moment, I was almost sure that it hadn't worked. Then I saw his body begin to sag. His breathing slowed and his eyes glazed over. The overdose was taking effect. It took a little bit longer for him to pass out, but when he did, his eyes remained open. That might have been the worst part of the whole experience. Within two hours, I was able to confirm that Peter Waldner was dead. Two hours before I left that place, feeling absolutely sickened. My job was a grim one. I was used to its more horrific sights, but this. A teenage boy. A teenage boy who had fought with every fibre of his being to stay alive. This made me sick to my stomach. I've never enjoyed time away from my work list. I didn't want to leave the house and I called in sick for the next day. When I eventually went back, my boss acted as if nothing was wrong. Part of me wanted to ask him about Peter Waldner, but every time I tried to bring it up, my voice died in my throat. In the end, I didn't ask any further questions, and I just tried to pretend that everything was normal. After a few weeks, it got easier, and I found a way to justify what I'd done to myself. It was just another day on the job, with a very sick teenager. That was it. Nothing more, and I prayed to God I'd never get another special client again. For a little over a year, I didn't. His name was Gustav Larsen, unlike my previous special client. Larson was in his 40s. The routine was much the same as usual. I showed up at the flat. A woman who I assumed was Larson's wife provided me a letter and I called my boss to ensure it was legitimate. It was, so I went ahead and mixed the overdose into the water. I remembered that when I went to Larson's room, I was terrified of seeing another teenager waiting there. Instead, I saw a man more in line with the usual clients. The biggest difference is that just like the boy, He was restrained to his bed and hooked onto an IV. He looked healthy enough otherwise and he stared at me with dull, glassy eyes that followed me around the room. Larson watched as I approached him with a water bottle. His wife followed me in, anxiously wringing her hands as she did. I looked back at her. I have to ask, are you completely sure you want me to go forward with this? The overdose should kill him in less than an hour. Once he drinks it, there's no going back. Larson's wife just nodded slowly. She hadn't spoken much at all. Much like Peter Waldner's mother, she looked exhausted. Do it, she said. Then I saw her eyes widen before I heard the snap of a broken leather. Something hit me, and hard. One moment I was standing by the bed, the next I was on my ass on the other side of the room. I could see one of Larson's hands stretched out from the bread and frantically clawing at the leather straps that bound him. The sounds that came from his mouth were more akin to animalistic snarls. His wife stood there for a moment, wide-eyed and shocked before rushing to grab his arm and forced it down. It looked like it took all of her strength to do so. I picked myself up and rushed to her side. Larson glared at us. His head lurched forward and his teeth gnashed as if trying to bite us. I held his arm down as his wife ran for the IV and to put up the dosage of sedative. It took almost ten minutes for him to calm down, panting heavily. She looked at me, eyes wide and horrified. Please, she said, half begging and half sobbing. Please, please do it, please do it now. I spotted the water bottle on the floor nearby. Nothing had leaked out, the overdose was still there. Reluctantly, I let go of Larson's arm and picked up the water bottle. When I put the straw to his lips, he didn't drink it willingly. I had to physically tip the contents down his throat, and even then, it took him over an hour to die. He stayed conscious the entire time, his eyes remaining fixated on me, unwilling to close until his body completely shut down. Just like before, I got the rest of the day off. I think I became the go-to guy for special patients after that. My boss and I never discussed those particular patients outside of the phone calls I made to him after I saw documentation proving that special procedure was in place. Each one was similar. The same timid, exhausted family members. The same hateful glare as I administered the overdose and the same stubborn refusal to die. Each one left me with nightmares. Thankfully, they were rare. Over the next ten years, I only saw about three more after Larson and Waldner. Most of them were young, Whatever condition they had seemed to generally infect teenagers. As for why, I I can't say. I don't even know what the medical term for what they had even was. I just knew that the patients I killed were beyond help and knowing that they couldn't be saved was the only reason I slept at night. Things changed when I was sent to assist the death of Lana Parker. Just the name told me that she wasn't going to be a normal case. "'Occasionally we do see tourists from the UK, "'and I was inclined to believe that Parker was one of those. "'When I went to the flat she was staying in, "'I recognised the grim face of the man who opened the door. "'I could see a woman, I assumed to be his wife, "'at the table behind him. "'I didn't even need to see Parker to know that this was a special client. "I, "'I have some documentation,' the father said quietly. "'He took the folded paper out of his pocket, I only skimmed it before nodded at him. Let me just confirm this with my supervisor, I replied before I stepped out onto the balcony to make the usual phone call. I was back inside in less than a minute. As I mixed the overdose into Parker's water bottle, the man I assumed to be her father hovered over my shoulder. Do you do this often? he asked nervously. From time to time, I replied. For people with her condition. The process often takes a little longer. It's painless, but I would advise that you watch. He shrank back timidly. Oh, you don't? I I thought it would be only right to. It's your decision, I added. But as I said, it takes longer and it's not pleasant to watch. I need to stay to confirm that the overdose has worked. You don't need to. He looked at the woman in the apartment, presumably Parker's mother. They traded a glance before he sighed. I'll be in there, he said, just to make sure. I nodded sympathetically at him. I understood. Really, I did. I screwed the lid into the water bottle before giving it one last shake. You can take me to her now, I said. The overdose is ready. Oh, I'm um, right, he said before turning to head down the hallway. Right this way. Luca, was it? He walked as if he was afraid of what was ahead of him, just like the family of every other special patient had walked. When he opened the door, I thought I'd be prepared for what I saw. I wasn't. I'd expected that Lana Parker would be at least a teenager. Instead, what I saw in that bed was a girl no older than five or six. This was a child. Her eyes were the same as every other special patient. Cold and tense and hateful. She was dead silent, though. There was no other sound save for the synthetic beep of the IV machine. I remained frozen on the spot as I looked at her. Her father lingered behind me, unwilling to look at her. I knew he was sobbing. I could see myself going over to her, making her drink the water and then sitting down to watch it take effect. I couldn't make my muscles move, though. Lana Parker just stared at me, her icy blue eyes burning into my own. Then I heard her speak. Judging from her father's accent, he was British, but the language Lana spoke wasn't English. It was perfect German, my native language. helfen Sie mir, she said in a small, weak voice. Help me. What exactly was I supposed to do in that situation? Go through with it, kill a child. Sick men and women I could stomach. Sick teenagers I could also learn to live with. But this. Had she been a sad, withered thing in the final stages of a terminal illness, I would have administered that overdose without a second thought. But this child looked completely healthy. Save for the unnatural paleness of her skin. I realised that my hands were shaking. This was too much for me. It was too much for anyone. I couldn't do it. By God, I could not do it. I closed my eyes and opened them. My mouth felt dry I couldn't couldn't do it. I set down the water bottle and approached the bed. My mind was going off autopilot as I did the only thing that made sense to me. I undid the leather straps that held her in place. Wait, don't, her father cried. He tried to pull me away from the bed, but I threw him off me. This is a child, Herr Parker, I snapped. A child. I am not going to administer a lethal overdose to a child. Are you completely out of your mind? Please, sir, you don't understand. Mr Parker tried to protest, but I shrugged him off of me and undid the strap binding Lana Parker torso to the bed. She sat up, her eyes lighting up, she did, and for a moment, I saw a pang of fear in her father's eyes. With the last of his strength, he pushed me away. I realised now that despite my mistake, he was trying to save me. In the moment, though, I thought the worst of him. I started to swear at him as I picked myself up, but my words died in my throat as I got a look at Lana Parker's face. Her ice-blue eyes had gone completely black. Her lips were curled in a smile that seemed to spit her cheeks as she stared down her father. I saw a dark stain of piss spreading from his crotch. I told you you could not hold me, she hissed in a voice that most certainly did not belong to a child. Then her mouth opened, and oh God, there was nothing within. Just a darkness so total that it still haunts my nightmares. She leaned towards and enveloped Mr. Parker, who was by no means a short man, with her infinite dark maw. He didn't scream as he was swallowed whole. One moment he was there, and the next he was gone. I remained rooted to the spot, barely able to comprehend what I'd just seen. The thing that looked like Lana Parker reached for the ivy in its arm to pull it out. I saw its black eyes settled on me. I knew I would be following the now late Mr. Parker into the black void and I knew I would not survive this journey. Just looking at the thing, I knew there was no little girl. Perhaps once, it had been, but whatever had moved in, whatever had hollowed her out and taken her shape was nothing more than a cleverly disguised predator. I knew why I'd been asked to kill her now. I knew that my display of human empathy had been a mistake and that I might not have the time to make it right. From the corner of my eye I spotted a water bottle. It was too far away. I'd never reach it in time. As Lana's hand gripped the IV, I knew there was only one thing I could do. I lunged for her, forcing her back and grabbing at the pillow she's rested on. She struggled with inhumane strength as I pushed the pillow down her face. I could hear rushing footsteps down the hall as the woman I had assumed to be her mother rushed in. George, she called, panicked and afraid. George Parker was long gone, though. Instead, she saw me trying to smother that creature. Her eyes widened at the sight before her. On instinct, she rushed to the IV to put the dosage of the sedative to the maximum before helping me restrain the thrashing creature. It took both of us to keep it pinned down long enough for the sedative to begin taking effect. Even then, the creature used to be Lana Parker watched me with its horrible black eyes as I forced the water down its throat. She needed three overdoses to kill. Three. I stayed at the flat afterwards, waiting quietly for my boss to arrive. The woman who'd helped me, I'd never caught her name, but I learned she was George Parker's sister, had left. i just sat quietly in the living room, my hands still shaking. I couldn't unsee the terrible creature that had been in the other room. In death, it still looked like a child, but I knew better. When the door to the flat opened, I looked up to see my boss standing in the doorway. He looked grave. Rough day, eh, Luca? he asked, and tried to force a smile. It didn't stick. I just remained still, unable to form the words. I know you must feel a bit at fault for what happened today, considering that you are the one that let the creature out of its containment, but I don't want you to blame yourself. "'Who the hell should I blame, then?' I demanded. The words come out harsher than it had intended. "'Blame the creature. Blame me. "'You have no way of knowing what it really was,' my boss said. "'He sat down beside me. "'I'll confess. "'I have always preferred not to discuss the nature of our special patients. "'I can't imagine you sleep well considering how many you've put down now. "'What is this? Six? seven i lose my fair share of sleep over them too. What the hell was that thing back there, I asked. That girl, she wasn't human. Not anymore, no, he confessed. There are entities out there. Don't ask me about the semantics of them. I really don't know much more than you do. These things attach themselves to people, though. The younger, the better. They try and grow inside of them like a parasite. Some of them can be removed, although it's I heard that means of removing them is fairly spiritual. Others, on the other hand, cannot. Maybe they've stayed in the host too long, maybe they're too powerful. Who knows, he shrugged. What's important is that they consume a person from the inside out. Lana Parker was dead long before she came here. What was left was something else entirely, wearing her face as a mask. What you killed was that thing, not the girl. And what about George Parker, I asked. If I hadn't set that thing free, he'd still be alive right now. Perhaps. We also looked into the face of what you thought was a child and refused to harm it. Make no mistake. I'm upset about what happened here. There are people I have to answer to. But I'm not upset with you. You did what any decent person should have done. That's why these things are so terrible. They prey on your empathy turn it against you. You're a good man, Luca. I really believe that. It's why I still trust you with our special patients. Even more so now, that you know how dangerous they are. I looked over at him. His expression remained grim. Part of me wanted to tell him to go to hell. I thought about quitting on the spot, leaving this madness behind and starting a new someplace else. Another city, another country, maybe even under a new name. Didn't say a word, though. My boss and I sat in silence for a few minutes before he patted me on the shoulder and got up. I'll see you later, Luca. Take tomorrow off. Rest, recover. We'll talk later. Then, just like that, he was gone. Lana Parker died over a year ago now. I've had a couple of special patients since then. I haven't made any mistakes with them. I have considered quitting my job if for no other reason than to avoid being around those rare monsters I must confront. But I don't think I'll get around to doing that anytime soon. Not because I enjoy what I do, I don't. The best part of my job is the part where I prevent people from dying. Not help them do so. But I stomach the special patients because I'm one of the few people who can. I know the danger they pose. I know how to handle them. Anyone less experienced may not fare so well. I hate what I have to do, but I recognise that it needs to be done. Those creatures, those parasites that wear those faces of children cannot be allowed to exist in this world, and I will do everything in my power to ensure that they are stopped. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and as always I've placed a couple of other videos on screen now that I think you might enjoy if you're new. Remember to leave a like and comment if you enjoyed, and I'll hopefully catch you in the next one. Thank you. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.